So hi, I'm Lisa from Pride Road Architects um, and in our series Architects in the Den, I'm delighted to welcome Ryan, Ryan Willard. Would you like to introduce yourself? Greetings. Hi, I'm Ryan Willard. I am an architect and I'm the host of the Business of Architecture UK and the co-founder of that and uh, a consultant where I help architects create businesses that they love and that is fulfilling and creates the lifestyle that they want to have. So um, we're about to be welcoming um, some um, <clears throat> viewers onto the call, viewers, listeners onto the call. Um, but in the meantime, Ryan and I are just having a little chat. So I'm just going to share my screen. For podcasters, you won't be able to see this. Um, but in real life, I am going to stop this because I really don't want anyone seeing this. I like it. You're oh, showing us. You're, show, you're showing us the invoices. <laughs> this is the most. This is the most important part of an architecture practice: is the invoicing. Oh, dear. What's your favourite part about a business? Invoicing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Invoicing. Invoicing is great. That is the. That's the best part of it. I love invoicing. I, I remember my business coach told me because I, I, when I first set up my business and I got bills, she said, "When a bill arrives, you've got to say thank you." Yeah. Because it's thank you for a piece of work that's been done. And so it completely just reframes my the, the way that I thought about receiving bills for anything, and that's kind of like been true ever since you know you get a bill for subcontractors work you know thank you very much for doing that piece of work do you say mentally not necessarily to them but you should also say thank you to them you know you get an invoice for an ebay purchase of i don't know a lego figure <laughs> is that a customized lego figure i love it hold on hold on i've got too much going on on my screen so yeah, this isn't going to work very well on a podcast, but yes. Oh, I love it. Where did you get that from? Uh, just just a, a little lockdown what, session. Was this someone that, did you design this yourself? Or did, did I go? I've, or I've, I've, it, I've pulled it together from a, a little kit of parts. Um, I, didn't know you, I didn't know you could get into so much detail with the Lego figures these days. Oh, it's a bit sad. Oh, Lisa. <laughs> so That's next level branding. I love it. <laughs> I'll put this on my Twitter feed. It's uh, a Lego. Do you want to describe it, Ryan? <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful, elegant Lego figure of uh, someone who looks like Lisa with the fabulous hair standing in front of the Pride Road uh, banner and logo. It's yeah. wonderful. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> very nice. Very nice indeed. It's, it's a bit bonkers. It's mm. been my lo lockdown obsession, Lego. Right. Um, and it's worked really well. I started by making a, um, a house, just one of those kit of parts. It's in the background of here. Uh, can you see that? It's oh, very nice. These kind of um, Victorian townhouses things. Yes. And then it's kind of developed into making um i made a kit of parts um so it's all about sort of oh very nice so because we uh specialize in domestic residential mm. um yeah i've made a typical kind of our typical vernacular so i've got um i've got a victorian terrace 
And I've also got a pair of semis. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but it, but it's really useful to start. Exp I've used it all today just to. Well, I, I I I enjoyed your TikTok video when you had them. Yes. When you were able to very clearly articulate the difference between a hip gable and a um, regular gable. But what I'm finding is they're really useful for clients. Um, they can, especially over Zoom, you, when you need to engage with mm. um, someone, um, you know, you're trying to, um, when you, yeah, you're trying to visually engage with people, get them looking, get them interested, engage in a different way. And it's not just an audio visual thing you know you've got to change how you communicate i think when you're yeah. on when you're on zoom um i can see someone in our waiting room um so um rachel do you want to just start allowing people in um <clears throat> so this we're just going to be allowing people in on the call um so is rachel like the bouncer yeah she's on. she's like she's like <laughs> the digital bouncer you ain't got a ticket you ain't coming in <laughs> absolutely so the way that i've run this event this is it's um i've run it as a webinar on eventbrite so cool. people have kind of ordered got tickets uh they can listen in and they can submit questions um and it'll just come through the chat so great okay cool so, so we got sure we got shirin we hi shirin pleasure to meet you <laughs> Except they're, they're on mute. <laughs> so it, it's just you and me talking. Talking. Great. So, um, well, no, it was interesting. interesting you were saying about how um, you, you, you say a, kind of, uh, a little act of gratitude every time you receive an invoice. Um, and I, was, I remember when I worked for, uh, with a business mentor, um, he said the same thing, you know, every time you make a payment to somebody or you pay, you pay a bill, say thank you for, you know, getting the job done or, you know, even if it was something like a credit card bill or something, you know, mm -hmm. or, or something that wasn't what you wanted, um, that, that act has kind of furthered you along in your process. It's furthered you along in your goals and in your ambitions. And it's a lovely way of reframing. Mm. Um, reframing pay, paying bills and then it makes you really enjoy sending out the invoices mm, mm. which is great fun yeah so so for the for those who missed the start of the conversation it was just about um, me um, sort of thank thanking the world uh, whenever I receive an invoice because um, you are thanking um, thanking the universe for work that's been done and it really does it, it ever since i've done that it it, it does reframe how you see fan, finances and mm. uh, makes you appreciate your outgoings <clears throat> i actually quite like reconciling <laughs> my invoices <laughs> it's yeah. fun. and and you know it's really good doing a, an audit over a month when you have to when you have to give your accountant the receipts and just say oh i spent that on marketing or you know yeah well that's when such and such happened or i met such and such a person or yeah, it's, it's really yeah well it's nice isn't it it's like a little uh like a kind of a, a sort of timeline of events and little things and you kind of you become aware of all the you know all the transactions it's mm -hmm. it's it's very interesting actually because it's 
like just when we start to think about money we start to recognize that it's it's you know it's an energy mm. and that it's something that's moving like it's called mm. currency because it's moving you know like a like, like electric currents right there's mm. a there's transactions that are happening when we talk about high-end properties or we talk about the property market we talk about volumes of transactions mm. so thinking about money as being a store of something like water that it naturally wants to be in movement right and if you keep it Hold, if you hold it too long it gets stagnant and things that aren't toward growing it it's a, it's a nice it's a useful metaphor to sort of mm -hmm. think about our businesses as being as being organisms and and that money is the sort of the life force that flows in and out of them so any any kind of reframing um of these sort of seemingly dry things or topics that we don't normally talk about i, I always I always think gives another dimension to what it is that what it is that we're doing and starts to prioritize money as well in our in our practices i suppose this is um this is one of the conversations that i'm having a lot with architecture owners at the moment is uh around all sorts of subconscious beliefs around money and finance and the way that it's kind of viewed in the profession and the the struggling for it or the not struggling for it and I think that's, a, that's certainly one of the one of the conversations that uh, you know we would, we would talk about today being being about a freedom practice, right? Or the kind of the concept of freedom, and and yet one of the biggest things that we don't have a lot of freedom around is with with finance, finance and money, and its meaning, mm. what it means to us. We get it gets really really overly meaningful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember when I first set up trying to send out that first invoice was sort of exciting and daunting. And then it's sort of like uh, after that, um, I used to be really nervous about sending out invoices. Um, and because you've almost frightened of them and a bit nervous, you then start delaying how long it takes before you send them out. You get behind. Mm. Um, and you really you start to lose control of the project when that happens. So no, we're very keen on invoicing sort of straight away now. Yeah. Let's appreciate it. You know, yeah. clients want to know exactly where they're up to with the project. They don't want an invoice coming in six weeks later, six months later, because they, they won't have account, you know, they'll have spent the money that, that, that they've accounted for you. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, if we look at it in, in property, um, you know, property people, property developers, they like speed. There's a reason they like speed. And they often talk about money likes speed. Money likes decisions to be made fast. It likes to be able to move quickly. Um, when you're scaling businesses up as well, the conversation is always about, you know, the, the, the speed of finance. The, this stuff is, it's interesting. And when we, again, when we start to see it as a, as, as an energy mm. as well, it, it it opens, but opens up a different conversation around it for sure. Mm, I think it's it definitely, definitely needs reframing money, and it's not a dirty word. I mean, I don't know at what point we were taught at architecture school that money was dirty. Well, I, I, th I think it's more to do with the fact that we don't talk about money, mm. and obviously, the way that we learn about money will come from our parents it will come from our family and you know most middle class and families have a certain there's a certain societal way of thinking and uh, and and behaving around around money and then at architecture school 
we leave money out. So at architecture school, we have a long gestation period, maybe, you know, it's the seven, eight, nine, ten year long process of becoming an architect. And then in the design work that we do, very rarely, I don't know if this was different for you in your experience, but when I was at school, we never did a project that had any financial grounding whatsoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you never did a project to a budget ever. You didn't yeah. even talk about a budget. And in fact, talking about a budget was seen as an, a big inhibitor to your creativity. So by not talking about it, we're already developing a, a particular paradigm that we're going to take on into a business. And I kind of like, oh, well, money's going to, you know, when we talk about money, when we talk about developers, when we talk about people who are interested in money, they're kind of, you know, they're not interested in the good stuff, which is design. They're not interested in. And I mean, I, I, yeah, I've um, given some guest talks at, I think it was UCLan and Salford on their kind of degree architectural see out the architectural technology course and they did multiple disciplinary projects with um sort of the qs's and structural engineers um or you know the students and i think that was really valuable mm. actually putting them together whereas when i trained yeah we never went anywhere near a, yep. a quantity surveyor yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I mean, when I first started running, running practice, that was obviously one of the, the key things that the client was so keen to know about mm. was, was having some sort of financial control over the project. Mm. And they're looking to us as the architects to be able to advise on that. And, you know, some projects can, and again, this all depends on how you set up your relationship with your, with your client. But um, you know that kind of wanting to know the difference in price between certain decisions that are being that are being made that's always no matter how wealthy the client is there's always that as a conversation if every client has a business agenda they've mm -hmm. got they've got a budget that they're working to um so being able to be conversant and literate in understanding what what the the value of the project is that you're designing how money's working how your design decisions are impacting mm. the finance and being responsible about that is absolutely key not having that ability not being able to do that as architects has left the architectural profession very vulnerable to other disciplines that are very good at talking commercially and aligning themselves with business with business agendas of clients to come in and overtake those overtake those roles. And that does I do think that does start at it does start at university. And that's not necessarily to say that university needs to suddenly put the the the, the chains and shackles around students creativities and say you've got to design this project to x amount of money but mm. you could have a conversation around money of like well okay if you if the design was going to cost this much how could you raise it mm. what what are the sorts of what are the sorts of business models that would be needed for a practice to be able to operate like this to to set up a project like this how would it be how would it be scalable you know mm. we're so good at university at being able to be you know, to dance and be creative with all these different constraints that the world of architecture throws at us from engineering, the politics, the planning to, you know, the tight sites to the, the you know, the, 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 the landscape in a site. But when it comes to commerce and economics, we take a we take us we take a step back absolutely and I, I think it, we need to understand i think this goes to kind of practitioners and uh, out there is is actually understand how long you take to do stuff mm. uh, understand your own uh, worth understand how how much you need to earn to be able to keep a roof over your head or pay pay those <laughs> nice bills 
um, so you need to understand how much uh, what your overheads are um, and then what you need to charge and then how long does it take you to do stuff so yeah. how long does it take you to go and meet a client or do a site survey or write a fee proposal or do some research um, and then once you start understanding that then you can start kind of tranching down your services and go mm. right it's going to take me two hours to do a site appraisal or two days to do you know to to research planning application or or whatever yeah so become, becoming a bit more literate about our own time about how you know how how we work as individuals I think yeah. that's important Abs absolutely mm. so if we were to sort of like come back to the title of the <laughs> of this yeah creating a freedom practice um it, have you had any thoughts about that uh, well uh, the the idea of a you know the, the of a freedom practice i think certainly comes from you know a lot of architects that i sp i speak to are really stuck in the business mm. right so it becomes a real a real slog every single day it is um lots and lots of work and i suppose the idea of a of a of a freedom practice is you know building a business which has some form of dependability to it right there's there's some form of it being able to compensate you well mm -hmm. right so that you're well rewarded for your time and your effort i think anybody who runs a business and i you know my certain my experience when i first um started running an architecture practice was you know you quickly find yourself working so many crazy hours to get paid even less than what you were getting paid in your lowly paid architecture job yeah right? that's a, that's a very common experience there's, i mean to be fair there's a lot of um there's a lot of wisdom that comes out of that experience as well like i, I don't i don't i don't advise it but there's also you know for me personally I, I learned a lot from you know like you were saying not being aware of how long things were taking your time the effort the effort mm -hmm. it takes to find a client the effort it takes to kind of keep in contact with the client you're you know you're as a sole practitioner you're doing everything you're taking all these roles rolls on now that's fine for the beginning parts of your of your business and like you know when you run a business you you're going to have to put in a, a shed load of energy and effort to get it into a place where you can kind of start to to step out of it but so this idea of a, of a freedom practice is is moving away from being the person who does everything inside of the business but you're able to start to choose and do the things that you enjoy the most mm. and that you've that you've got a, a set of effective systems and strategies mm. in place for growth you've got a you know you've got a, a niche market that allows that makes the selling process easier for you you've trained yourself in sales and communication so that you're more fluent and you're able to talk to clients and understand what it is that they need so that you can price your services higher Right, mm -hmm. you're not you're not running a uh, a practice which has got loads of unnecessary overheads. Like you know, you're renting out large studio spaces and doing lots of unnecessary model making and all sorts of you know hiring people that you don't need. All, all of these all of these things, um, when there's a kind of awareness around them and you're able to kind of get that balance of of your own lifestyle, what you want your lifestyle to be, you can start to step out of the practice a little bit. Mm. right and and start to have it 
have to start to run a practice where it's serving your lifestyle and not your life just trying to keep a practice alive and afloat mm -hmm. so this idea of of the freedom practice really is um you know it's a mental freedom more mm -hmm. than any more than anything else you know, there's a, there's at the foundation of all of this is is being able to deal with the i'm going to call i'm going to say the word brutality of business because <laughs> there there is right there is you know we're dealing with you know if you're if you're an architect and you're working with high-end clients or you're working with developers these guys are smart mm. they're, they're commercially sophisticated people if you're working with wealthy clients they're wealthy for a reason they know how to deal with money right they've got a certain way of 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 doing stuff public sector procurement is like kind of crazy the way that building there's a harshness to all of this so being able to be free from your own mental friction and the way that we that we interpret these things that are happening and the upset and the and the despair that's the first part of all of all of this right that that internal freedom i'm a big believer that this inner freedom is the kind of you know that allows us to start to start building businesses that can be systematized and yeah I, I think i think you're preaching to the converted with uh, <laughs> sort of how we've set up pride road <laughs> mm. <clears throat> sorry excuse me um yeah so we are incredibly niche and we just do residential domestic um we are very systematized yep. so we've got really slick crm system so that's a customer relationship management system um which uh is fed by automations that are sent to the clients um so we do a minimum amount of form filling but that information that the clients give us is retained so we're not rewriting documents on documents um it's relatively intelligent yep. <laughs> It's only as intelligent as people who created it, like us. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, those systems really do take the strain out of um, the day-to-day -day running of the business. You know, I can do uh, a brief in a second or a fee proposal in a second because once I've captured the information from the clients, everything the automations are there so i just have to press a button to turn it into a fee proposal yeah awesome yeah and it, it's, it's interesting many architecture practices will spend a lot of time you know reinventing the wheel the mm. wheel if you like so you're kind of each fee proposal is a brand new as a brand new endeavor and each yeah. selling each sales conversation that you have is a new conversation there's no structure mm. there's no scripts there's no rehearsals there's no practicing it mm. there's no um and so each thing becomes a little bit uh, what's the word you know there's a there's a, a less of a probability of it working when it's not mm -hmm. rehearsed or when it's not got a sort of element of of uh, sort of rigor or discipline or or sort of testing testing to it mm. um so so yeah and as architects we like you know we we often try and try and reinvent it all the time each each project and that can cause a lot of problems in a business so well uh, especially if you if you're looking back at old documentation and you're pulling something that you wrote five years ago and you've you're copying it and pasting it and then you realize that laws have changed since and yep. it, 
you, you just lose, yeah, you lose the continuity, don't you? Well, it's, it's interesting as well in terms of, uh, you know, architects don't typically have a, in the industry, we don't have necessarily have a culture of sharing details mm. and, and sharing drawn information. Um, and if we look at industries like the, the software industry on coding and coders, where their whole, their whole culture is one of open source. It's one of like, you know, you're constantly adapting and sharing code and taking a bit of that code and plonking it into yours and refining it. And again, this is an, as an industry-wide thing for architects to have, uh, you know, kind of shared databases of, of information and drawn information that's readily, readily accessible and, you know, willing to share. And I think that's, that's, a, that's also a very powerful thing. I think they not help that at all with like libraries in kind of in CAD libraries. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I've, I've not, you know, I've not really used them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I, 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 mumble, I, I, mumbling. Well, I, I certainly think those, those types of CAD libraries are very powerful. Mm. I mean, if, if we look at sort of one, of, uh, one end of the spectrum of practices that are doing this, to another level is, is um, Bride and Wood. Um, Bride and Wood's the sort of large practice in, the, in, in London. They started off doing quite complex pieces of infrastructure uh, at airports and working for very heavy process driven clients like, um, you know, GlaxoKlein-Smith, the kind of pharmaceutical yeah. companies. And they are very tech savvy practice. So a lot of their projects are heavy on data modeling so before they kind of start designing anything they are have got the ability to be able to collect a lot of very unique information through their kind of computational processes but once they've started designing stuff they've built these platforms where they're kind of uploading all the all the product details all the building details which are then being able to be shared between all of their clients in these different industries mm. and, at, and at first their clients were like you know well this, surely this is this is it. there's ip breach here that we're going to be we don't want people seeing what our buildings are you know the details of our buildings and their argument what their argument was well your building and your business is going to evolve at a much rap more rapid rate by us being allowed to share the information because it will improve and it will go through that kind of iterative process without us being involved in it mm. and so a lot of the clients got on board with that and they've got these incredible databases of you know complex details and open source architectural information um that has you know increased the productivity and the efficiencies of their for their clients mm. tenfold and they're not they're, they're they're now seen as such a valuable asset to these large corporations these large um process driven companies um they're seen as problem solvers they're not just seen as people who design buildings the the, the you know bride and wood they've actually got a floor where they have um their clients Right. So in their own business, they've got a floor where they've got representatives from their clients all sitting with each other. So you've mm. got someone from BAA and someone from GlaxoKlein-Smith and someone from another kind of infrastructure company because they realize the value that the architects are bringing through their, their modeling and their sharing of information. It's kind of a win-win for, for everybody. That's, that's, for me, I find that really, really exciting. And, yeah. you know, and we do an element of kind of sharing information within the franchise. Um, you know, you kind of, we're all working in a similar field. So 
um, you know, quick question to uh, everyone. And uh, we're around the country, we're spread around the country as well. So, you know, we've got people who work in national parks and greenbelt and conservation areas. And, you know, who's had an experience of such and such? You know, what sort of planning policy, you know, are we expecting to find here? What sort of restrictions? No, definitely co collaboration, sharing's the. Uh, uh, is really important so we're not so isolated yeah. yeah um so what one piece of advice would you give our audience about how to create a uh, uh freedom practice one piece of advice how to how to create a freedom practice yeah, just, one. just just one little just, thing one, one little nugget <laughs> I, I i think it, it depends where everybody's at right now. So there's always like just a kind of self audit that's required to understand what's happening in the business. Like if, if, if you're getting fatigued and you're getting burnt out and you're tired and like, it's just a kind of relentless, a relentless churn, there needs to be a kind of some interruption to that lifestyle to that process where you can just take a step back and, and have a look at what is going on in the business and it often you know obviously I, I always advise working with somebody that helps working with a business mentor having somebody that kind of gives an outside eye otherwise it's just a kind of continuous churn um and and to and to acknowledge like what, what part of the business where am i really struggling in the business there's two types of practices one one is the business the practice that hasn't got enough work and then there's the practice who's got loads of work and then doesn't know how to deliver it and then they're kind of in in that in that stressful cycle um so there's normally i mean for me most most architecture practices the things that practices have the most trouble with is marketing and sales mm. um and so if you're able to have some sort of dependable way of winning work, right? And most architects win 90% of their work through referrals. If there's some sort of system in place to make that a little bit mechanical, even if it's just periodically sending an email to all your clients saying, I'm looking for work, or I'd love to be able to help. Um, you know, you, you've come up as one of my favorite projects that, I've done in the last few years here were the here are three reasons why you know one it was you know it was a great design we were really happy with it we loved how we got the family involved and you know you've got this wonderful kitchen number two you were a delight to work with and I'm keen to work with more people just like you who do you know that would be someone of your caliber that would be that would benefit from my services right just a, a, an email like that mm. once every few months or having or having a newsletter that is, um, you know, that you send out to all your past clients or potential um, referral alliances, you know, so these are people who in other industries, contractors, estate agents, or people of, you know, who are kind of centers of certain networks who might be able to connect you with different projects, just some sort of systematized way of keeping in contact and asking for referrals is, you know, a, a quick way of, quickly systematizing something or, or addressing a problem that you know many architects face is this kind of don't know where the next project is going to come from everything kind of happens at the end of the month all of a sudden phew a, refer, a random referral came in left field didn't know where it was coming we're okay for the next two months sort of thing yeah yeah oh no i, I absolutely agree with you with that we yeah we do um 
I kind of talk about shaking the tree or like <laughs> I, I kind of visualize my process as a pipeline yeah. so you know it's kind of squeezing the pipeline along just to make sure clients are all moving along it so we using the CRM system which is mm. amazing you've, you've we can recall you know we've got everyone's details when they first when we first did an initial consultation with them so um you know we can see if someone's not converted into a workshop or a project or have said thank you very much but we're not you know whatever um you know we've got access to a bunch of people within a certain timeline so recently i went back and i sent a generic email to everybody saying oh hi how are you getting on with your project it's been a while since we you know you, we had a chat um you know where are you up to with it um and um you know if is there anything we can help you with we'd really like some honest feedback mm. and it was brilliant we i, I got um i think about 10 percent response to it which i thought was quite high and mm. people were honest you know we went elsewhere your fees were too high um i think i had one person saying the advice that you gave was rubbish i was like <laughs> okay <laughs> we went with another architect who said that they could do it and they did it i'm like okay that's fine but you know horses for courses that's that's fine and you've got to take that uh, that criticism um but equally you know we had lots of people who said you know we really wanted to go ahead but my husband lost his job or there's uncertainty so all that self-doubt that you've got going through your head about people don't like me because my advice is rubbish actually it's other factors altogether and actually going to clients and asking them directly you know you, you'll get a, a, a response and yes we did get a couple of clients saying thank you very much for the reminder yes we want to start the project you know we're in touch kind of thing. absolutely i mean sometimes it's it's so funny that we're we're so conditioned in a way to not want to come across as pushy or to be salespeople or to follow up or to do all these types of things. And often, you know, sometimes the, you know, the, the, the client has got stuff that they're dealing with in their life. Sometimes mm -hmm. we've got to be responsible and recognize that our sales system sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we're just not, we're, you know, we're kind of going onto a client and just pitching them something and, you know, we're just showing them portfolios and we haven't asked any meaningful questions. And so, you know, they politely decline and, you know, but, but, um, but, but again, that kind of just following up, having some sort of rhythm to networking, to building your pipeline, recognizing that that is the thing that's going to feed, feed the business ultimately. Mm. And the more sophisticated that you become or the more that you dig into your niche or the more that you kind of find the, the way of communicating that works that works authentically for you and is resonating with your target audience or is, I mean, more than that, it's, it's like actually the more clear you become in what problems you're solving for specific groups of people and the way that you're able to articulate that, um, that becomes the sort of the, the marketing system in itself, if you like. And mm -hmm. it's, and it's the first step of, of building any, any business that has any degree of, of freedom to it. I don't know if you've ever seen the, have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? No. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is one of these sort of personal finance books that every time I do a lecture 
at a university i always recommend the students to 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 read it and it's kind of got a very cheesy front cover to it and all the professors always look at me and go oh no this is not you know but it's it's a brilliant book and in the and, and it's it's written in a very accessible and easy way and in that book he has a concept called the cash flow quadrant Mm. So he's talking about four different ways that you can earn money, basically, how the capitalist system works. You can either be an employee where you're working for somebody else, right? So imagine, imagine a, a quadrant, right? Four squares. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing it now. <laughs> right. So, so on the bottom left-hand corner, you've got employee. On the top left-hand corner, you've got self-employed. So this is what many of us as architects do, what many specialists do. You know, we've become highly trained. We're of the mindset of, you know, I can do it myself. My boss is rubbish or I want to go out and do my own thing and have that freedom. We become self-employed. Now, the, what happens with being self-employed, employed, typically, employed, we end up um, owning a job, right? So we've now got all the responsibilities of what our boss had. We've now, and we, uh, you know, we've got the responsibilities of other people working for us. We've don't necessarily have any systems in place in the business. Um, and the two defining factors of the employee and the self-employed is that they're essentially still trading time for money. Mm. Right. So as an employee, you have an agreement of your employer that you will come and do 40 hours of work a week for a set rate. And that's your salary. As a self-employed person, you've agreed some kind of lump sum money with a client, which is, might be based on some sort of hourly rates, you know, rates of the people that you're charging out or hourly rates for yourself. And there's an exchange, there's an exchange involved, of, involved in that. Now, on the right-hand side of this quadrant, there's the business owner and there's the investor. Mm -hmm. So the business owner is somebody who is now learning to leverage systems and other people to help them make money. Right. So, and the idea is that the business owner is how they define a business owner is that you're able to leave your business and it's operating without you. Mm -hmm. So it continues to make a profit. So this, this means that there are systems that are in place. You've got strategies that are involved in leading people. You understand how to make the business profitable and you've basically worked your way out of it. Right. But you're, you're still the owner of the business. You're still taking in a, in a profit share. And then the final stage is becoming an investor. So in that business stage, you're having systems and other people work for you to make to scale up your income. And then as an investor, you're now using your surplus income to invest in other people's businesses or other or other assets, essentially. Well, um, were those your children in the background? No, they're kid. They're kids outside. They're having. A, <laughs> I think they're in the final rounds of a very aggressive football championship that's been going on for the last three days. <laughs> okay, well, so that sounds like a good place to uh, stop. Um, so, if any of our listeners want to get hold of you or get some business advice or mentorship, if if obviously they're not interested in joining Pride Road, which. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they would be. Um, but how would they get hold of you? Um, you can always get me at my email address, ryan at businessofarchitectureco.uk. Um, but I, 
uh, first thing to do is to check out the podcast, Business of Architecture UK or www.businessofarchitectureco.uk and check out all the interviews that I've been doing with practice owners and entrepreneurs and business people. And there's lots and lots of resources there. Um, and there's lots of ways to, to, get in, to get in contact and follow me on all social media. Follow me on TikTok. That's my favorite. <laughs> yes, yes. I was going to have a chat with you about TikTok, but that's cool. Right. Well, thank you very much um, for uh, coming on, Ryan. My um, pleasure. So you are my fifth, I think, fifth podcast. Um, we've previously interviewed the um, presidential candidates for the RIBA. So We've actually got uh, Simon Alford, the uh, incoming president, on on a podcast, which is fantastic. Super. Uh, and uh, coming up in the series, I've got Ben Derbyshire and Simone de Gaulle. Um, and um, we're just starting conversations, all things architecture and business and marketing and all things that we love. Um, she says questioning whether people love kind of marketing i don't know <laughs> they do they but should we do we do that's but i could do. talk about marketing for hours and hours and hours okay well thanks very much ryan my um, pleasure thank you so much for for having me and thanks everyone for joining us <laughs>